What is up, y'all? It is Tuesday, July 21st, 2020. I am T-Bob Bear, joined by my co-host Brody Miller, and this is the Hold That Podcast podcast, the number one LSU football-based podcast, no doubt in my mind about it. It's brought to you by The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash podcast. Great sign-up deal, 40% off. Um, and we have a lot to get to today, but before we dive into it, let me welcome in Brody Miller. Brody, what's up, man? You know, uh, I, I figured I have to lead with this, which is that I am currently on vacation uh, recording in my father's house in suburban Indianapolis. Oh, wow. And uh, he wanted to put down for the record that anything said while recorded in his house is his trademark. Yeah. Um, yeah. So pretty much all your takes, you are probably just stealing from him again or me. So he just wanted to put that on the record. Uh, let your dad know. That if he ever crosses state lines into Louisiana, we're fighting. He was literally there three weeks ago. It's on site. Yeah, but I didn't see him. I'm going to be like Darth Maul in Phantom Menace when him and Qui-Gon Jinn got into it. And they didn't even say anything. These two people had never seen each other before in their lives. And Maul just immediately hops off this freaking space bike and they just start trying to kill each other. That's how it's going to be when me and Bob... Yeah, good work. Bob meet. Uh, I, I couldn't tell if, if you had told me it was Bob or if I was like, well, Bob's the most generic dad feeling. name. Yeah, uh, just, you know, <laughs> Bob Miller like, sounds like a dad. There's just no <laughs> doubt about dude, it. Is, yeah. that, is that the dad hall of fame? Bob it's up Miller there. I mean, from- it's in the Pantheon for sure. <laughs> I don't know, man. You got to watch out, though. I mean, that man grew up on a farm in Kentucky and grew, went into the uh, salon products business. So, I mean, you got to watch out. That's a versatile man. Uh, well, you know what? Guess what? Qui-Gon was a beast, too, but that didn't stop Maul from trying to kill him. Okay? Like, I, I, I respect it. Bob Miller from Indiana. That's his heart. And, that's just like as American, middle America as it sounds like you could get. Uh, so that makes sense. That's why you wrote your piece on Indiana on The Athletic the other day. <laughs> I actually wrote that in Louisiana. So I'm just trying to keep everyone on their toes. <laughs> then I went to Indiana to write about LSU. I'm really just, you know, the, it's, I don't know. I'm like Anthony Bourdain. I'm trying to live all these different cultures here. Uh, well, let's lead. Let's go to some parts well-known uh, as we take a look at the state of the program at LSU right now. Um, this is a series that The Athletic does. It's really good. Uh, the All of their very talented writers basically give – it's like, you know, it's the state of the program. It's, it's where do we stand going into a new season, 2020. And, Brody, you have your state of the program up right now. Uh, it's very good, uh, per usual. I recommend that everybody go check it out. Um, and in your opening paragraph, I think you really set the tone for the theme that I, I want to explore here. And we'll get into, like, position groups and kind of what the, you know, what the um, summary is of each position group currently. But in, in, in one of your opening paragraphs, you say, quote, this is the wrong screenshot I'm looking at. That is not what you say. Here it is. Quote, you're talking about Ogeron. His stock is the highest it can be. Now he doesn't have to prove himself, which means we're now really going to learn what Ogeron wants. Uh, and why that is so interesting to me 
is I guess I never really thought about that before. Like you're right. Coach O is fully free to form LSU in his image. And that's not to say that he didn't have a lot of free reign before because being able to fire Kander and hire Insminger speaks to uh, leadership that is at least willing to support their coach. But now it seems like he can dictate terms. It's not like he has to go asking for permission. It's like he can go say what he wants and then people have to make it happen. And so, yeah, now he is free to form LSU. And we've seen a ton of that already here in year number one because of all the changes of everybody leaving Brody. Exactly. And I think you hit the key thing, which is that as much as I'm, you know, I'm not making it sound like this wasn't in his image before it was, but, but I mean, there's no doubt about the fact that the first at least two years for sure. I mean, he was tiptoeing around a little bit. He was just trying to keep his job. He, you know, I mean, part of his pitch was like, hey, like I got to keep Dave Aranda because Dave Aranda is, you know, really res- like valuable, respected coach. You know, all these things, and it was, he, it wasn't. He was trying. He was coaching to keep his job, and it wasn't necessarily like this is who Ed Ogeron is. And now, I mean, he is so far removed from that. He is officially in. He could do whatever he wants now. So I. So as I sat down to write this, and you, you know, the key thing you're trying to think about is just like, all right, what is the real storyline of this season? And I think I, at first I'm like, all right, it's going to be about replacing all this talent, right? It's going to be about no Joe Burrow. What can Miles Brennan do? And then you really think about it, and it's like what I think of this season is it's about a program that has reached the mountaintop, but I mean, it is so, it is so hard to get there, but I can, I mean, you probably know this better than me. It is so much harder to stay there because we've seen Florida state win titles. We've seen Auburn win titles in the past decade, but to be, to actually find a way to push yourself into that Alabama Clemson class, that is a lot harder task to actually have that staying power. And you mix that with Ogeron now having all this power. And it's, it's really going to be a fascinating time. You know, Dave Aranda leaves. All right. Now it's his first real DC hire. He brings in Bo Pelini, which is a big change, you know? So, you know, I think we're really seeing. It's a huge change. When you're talking about going from a four, three, you know, from a three, four to a four, three. And, and if if we're just going to check our own tapes, it's a change that comes on the heels of us talking about how, this last season, they finally had the personnel to truly run a 3-4. That for years, they had been kind of steering the ship that direction. And then with the emergence of Shelvin and the arrival of Ica, you felt like you finally had a true nose. And so now you're like fully ready for the 3-4. And so, yeah, it's interesting then that a year later, the coach uh, chooses to go the opposite direction. And now you're back building towards a 4-3. And, and it's going to, I mean... This isn't – I mean, Alabama, I think, is the reason they are this unprecedented dynasty to me isn't just, like, how good they are. It's the ability to – you every year they lose, you know, seven stars to the draft, and then every year you just operate under this this blanket assumption, right, that it's like, yeah, but they're going to be fine, you know? Like, they're going to have a new guy who's going to be a superstar. Like you, And to get to that point, I think, is the hardest part that I think it's hard to ever wrap your head around, and now it's the best example for LSU because – we know how much we're losing. I mean, you can look down at my story and there's a returning production chart and it's, it's bleak. I mean, most of it's in red shades, you know, cause it's under 50%. So it's really going to be a test of that. And, and almost, it also goes to, you know, the position rankings. I don't think we're going to discuss today, but we can allude to, which is, you know, I'm making those position rankings and you realize how much they're replacing. And it's like, it's so hard to break down because there's a chance that there's some groups in that offense that are like going to be 
all American superstar groups. Like there's a scenario the O line's amazing, and there's also a scenario where that offensive line is really bad. You know, yeah. and same with tight end, same with quarterback. So it's such a fascinating year because it is the ultimate test case of if they are in that that realm where they can just restock and replace because none of these guys except the receivers are known commodities, literally none of them. So it, it really is going to be a test of how far they've come in these four years. Yeah, and uh, so we're going to talk about the Phil Steele. Phil, Phil, God, Phil's name always fails me up. Phil Steele. Uh, the the Phil Steele. <laughs> uh, nice. We're going to talk about the Phil Steele. God, top How do you feel about later. Phil Steele? Uh, oh my god stop it my my tongue is hurting from even trying to say that sentence out loud uh but we're going to talk about it because one of the things that jumps out to me is what i call the botd club and that's what you were just alluding to that's the benefit of the dow club brody Ooh, I and love that. look at phil Steele's top four okay and and i can't remember exactly what order but it's alabama it's clemson it's ohio state and it's oklahoma like you could two years ago or last year, whatever, like you could just go in blind, know nothing about college football and just pick those four and feel pretty good about them being your top four. And that's because they get the benefit of the doubt because even though they lose number one overall picks at the quarterback position, which is supposed to be the hardest to replace, or they lose multiple coaches and a ton of talent to the NFL, like no, no matter what happens to these schools, they just even head coaches in the, in the terms of like urban Meyer into Ryan day or, uh, stoops to Lincoln yeah. Riley. The, these clubs, these organizations just keep it moving and are continuously in the playoff. Either they're in the playoff or they're there till the very end and they're in the conversation year long. So I agree with you. LSU is now trying to get in the BOTD club. It's a very exclusive club. There's not that many passes to go around. They're trying to earn their way in. And it's and it's actually really fun, great timing here because literally just I mean I think this morning Matt Miller one of the you know main NFL draft experts and whatnot I think he's NFL Network yeah he tweeted you know that he just talked to one of the best scouts in the NFL and that scout said if LSU has consistent quarterback play they're going back to the Natty this year first off Damn, what a take what a take love it's take, take season so and I'm here for it but. Mm, 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 mm. I know, right? Uh, but I mean, the, what's it, it really parlays into this conversation so perfectly because, I mean, someone else said this to me, and it's like, yeah, but you could say that about you know this better than anyone. You could say that about every LSU team since the Saban era. If they have good quarterback play, of course LSU is always in the top five. I mean, they're in that mix. They are, but still, that is such a huge if. And I feel you know, like we I, are, I, I well, I want to hold on. I want to explore that real quick because I think that. At times, people have overrated the talent on LSU. Ooh, um, I like it, but not like now. Now that that I'm I'm trying to think about specifically these. Times. I know what I, you I mean because I think you mean like the 2013, the 2018 yes, era. Yes, that wasn't is as exactly yeah. that is exactly the okay. Then 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 I think there's some validity here because we are uh, of of like mind there. That is yeah. the exact era I'm talking about. It was it was a dip, and you were consistently finishing in the teens, and yet you kept hearing like. Oh my gosh! Like you know, LSU should be in Natty's every year. This is ridiculous. And I was kind of looking like, well, like if you look at the makeup of the team, I don't actually know that that's true. Um, that said, there have there have been many years in this golden era where, yeah, the common denominator that did hold you back when you were leading with the amount of guys that you're putting in the NFL and all these other crazy numbers, uh, it was quarterback play. And so now it looks like you've unlocked that. And I do think that Louisiana 
is such a talent-rich state that if you can do what Saban did, if you can do what Ogeron did and what Miles did in his prime and put gates around the state and then kind of cherry-pick nationally, like I do believe that you can always assemble a national championship caliber team. And, and actually, just the record would speak to that, right? Uh, Saban won an Addy, Miles won an Addy, and Ogeron won an Addy. Your, your last three coaches have won national championships. So the... I don't think that you can use the excuse if LSU is not to join that club. I don't know that you can blame it on something like in-state talent or talent level or just like if you're in Tennessee geographically, it's just going to be super hard to always be able to put together a caliber team like because the recruiting pool you're pulling from in Tennessee specifically, um, LSU doesn't have that excuse. So you're right. This is a, and this is what Peter Burns was talking about on my show a couple weeks ago. Where I, I, I've been a little more lax. I've been like, yeah, nine and three, that, that seems acceptable with everything you lost and everything. That makes sense. And he was like, no, I don't think so at all. Like you're saying, they're trying to make the jump. They're trying to end up in that elite of the elite. And the only way to do that is to prove to be, to, that, that you can go to a national championship or go to a playoff, lose your number one quarterback, and then come back and get right back there immediately. And it's what Bama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Oklahoma have proven to be able to do and look at what they get. And LSU's trying to reap those rewards as well. And so what better, and the same way then, that this season is a lot of risk in terms of everything you're replacing and all the unknowns. Uh, like everything else in life, a lot of times risk comes hand in hand with opportunity. And so now if you do do it, if you do go 11-1 and or something like 10-2, and and you do have great quarterback play, and you are in that playoff conversation, despite losing 15 guys to the league, well, then all of a sudden, then you look at the recruiting that's even coming in, then all of a sudden, you have a team, a, a school that you're like, oh, okay, they're just going to be like this every year from now on. So if LSU like, wants to fully assert themselves, the strides that can be gained are massive this year, and even bigger than like if you were good next year and not so good this year, right? Like The opportunity is at, it, at its highest going into 2020. And I think what makes that hard, and I don't even, I'm trying to think of the right phrasing for this, but what makes that a trickier thing to achieve already is I don't think even Ed Ogeron expected to be winning a championship in year three, you know? So they, they got good so fast. And then in turn, by getting good so fast, a lot of the bulk of what would have been the 2020 roster is suddenly gone a year earlier than you expected because, man, you just overachieved beyond belief. And now 2020 is just, I mean, I think I still think it's a really talented team. Like we've, we've even talked episodes prior about how it just like a raw recruiting ranking point of view, it's more talented. So, I mean, they're, they're fine, but yeah, I mean, when you combine, I just think it's actually just too much to ask in 2020. Now, if they 2021, yeah, I think they should be back to right in that mix. And if, if you're not back in a playoff by 2022, then you're like, okay, maybe that was a one-off. Like, then you really are having that conversation, and you should be. But, yeah. but 2020, I just don't think I'm judging them that harshly. And maybe I'm too much of like a give people the benefit of the doubt person. I mean, I'm the guy who's like, save Will Muschamp forever. But yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I know, I know. But yeah, I, I just think that's unfair because I just think, I mean, you, you look at the schedule, you look at the experience, all those things. I mean, if they go 11 and one, oh God, I mean, I'm ready to give Ed Ogeron another coach of the year award. I really am. Like I, I would be pretty damn surprised if they can pull that off because that is hard. And I know 
big asterisk and we know there might not be a 12 game season but for now we're going to keep using that as our metric so whatever 11 and one just in your head you can just say seven and one in the sec because that's what it would be i just wanted to say that for our listeners yeah no i agree i I, I get a comment every story i write (laughs) yeah so Uh, let's start let's start let's state that though like so for yeah so uh 11 like six and two seven and one eight and no those are the sec games and and i do feel confident those will be played yeah so and I guess this is the question I should then throw to you is, and I'll, what record would genuinely make you feel like they are at least achieving this thing that we're talking about? Because I think if they go 10 and two, oh God, they, they impress, they prove they can reload. That's a top seven team in the country at that point. You're firmly going to a New Year's Six Bowl. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you go 10 and two, you might actually be in the like a back end playoff conversation at least. So I'm curious what you view as meeting that. Hmm. This is tough too because I am like you, right? I'm the one that's been saying that nine and three just seems logical when you're replacing. <laughs> and it that does because that means uh, you're going two and two in your toss-up games. So I mean, that's a good year. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, look, but 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 I guess the success we're not talking about success we're talking about isn't really logical though, right? Like, <laughs> isn't that the point of Ohio State, Clemson, Bama, and Oklahoma getting the benefit of the doubt? Is that on paper it looks like they should be in a bad spot, but they aren't because of the machine that they've built. And so if 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 you and yeah, it's it's, it's got to be exclusive, right? So elite results uh, sometimes, or it recall for elite expectations, I guess. So like I'm tr- I'm trying to break out of my own kind of lines of thinking here because maybe I'm I off base it. here. Maybe if you want to be the best, you have to be expected to do above normal things. And if that's the case, then it kind of feels like 11 and one. I mean, if you want to be in the club immediately. Yeah. Yeah. 10 and two, uh, is going to win over the vast majority of people. Uh, new Year's six bowl third year in a row, I think would be a wonderful accomplishment. And you could argue that maybe that positions you in a bit, bit of the benefit of the doubt club because at that point you're staying playoff relevant all year long as well. Um, and, nine and, and if th- you go ten and two, that means Miles Brennan was pretty good. Like yes. that's just that's the truth. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Sixty uh, percent. That's what you want to do. If you could do sixty percent of what Burrow did, uh, <laughs> I think you go ten and two. Uh, I know. I really do love. I've like had. I love reading my comments to both the position preview stuff and the say the program stuff because like you really are having people say like, you know, I'll be disappointed if Brennan isn't, you know, at least like, I just want to see if he's close to Burrow, you know, like I'll be disappointed. I'm like, what world are you living in? Because if he (laughs) number two in the sec last year was, I believe 2,900 yards. Like, like I just, you got to live in reality a little bit. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) You should, you'll, you should be disappointed if he has like 2018 Burrow year, of course. But I mean, yeah, it just makes me so mad. But one thing I wanted to jump to is it is worth throwing out there that I don't think Dabo and Clemson got to machine territory and in that group until about what 2016. And I and Saban and he Saban won a title in year three, but Saban wasn't to machine level until mm. 2011, year yeah. five. Yeah. And I'm not saying there's any formula where like this is okay and this isn't. Of course not. But I just think that's worth saying that like we should like because it's actually an incredible parallel. The more I, I look closer at it. Ogeron won in year three, Saban won in year three at Alabama. And then year four, Alabama went 10 and three, went to the Capital One Bowl. I don't think anyone was ripping them for that. 
And that's exactly the situation that Ogeron might be in this year. So that's that's and, just and, food and, for thought. Let's be clear. If they go 10-3 and three with a bowl win, I don't think that they'll be getting like ripped on, right? I mean, like you're, you're going to have your loud voices. That would be extreme. I just think that, uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't enter this club necessarily, which as we said, very high bar exactly. to get in and 11 think, and one and 11 and one, I think 11 and one though, you do assert yourself in there. I would agree. Cause I think, Oh, I mean, if you go 11 and one, you're only lost to spam. I don't want to get ahead of myself, Ooh, but, but you're in the playoffs. Also, but you're in the playoffs. Oh, you think? Okay. I like it. Yeah. At I mean, a certain point, Oklahoma has got to get dinged for just like, I just can't think 12. of a year where 11 and one SEC hasn't gotten in, but, um, um, what I was, Oh my God, I lost my train of thought. Darn it, well, but, but now I'm also thinking though, it does become a bit more interesting if you go in 11 and one and you lose to Bama, because then you lost what eight, nine years in a row, then you finally win. And then when, if you lose again, immediately the next year, does that kind of feel like a, well, back to this now type of moment. What yeah, if, what I if think, they go ten and two with a win over Bama? Is that better than going <laughs> eleven and one with a loss to Bama? That ooh, I, that's an incredible question. I, I mean, dude, my, I don't really know what the because it's totally is possible. There. I don't think, yeah, I don't think that should be like thrown out anymore. Um, I think eleven and one with a loss to Bama is better. Ooh. I think first off the obvious, but second off, I mean that means you have. Four top 15 wins probably or something in that realm yeah so i i think that's better and you will and just the honest truth is even though even if it's stupid even if it's infuriating to the fan base you always have an excuse for beating bama you just do like that is a understood like i get it loss and if you beat bama and then lose two other games Beating Bama immediately makes those other two losses like less okay. So I kind of I get that. No, I get that because then you'll be like, well, why weren't you consistent? How could you beat Bama and then like lose to Florida or whatever? Uh, but as for, from an emotional standpoint, I think I would actually take ten and two beating Bama a second year in a row. I probably I, just I get have that. too. I probably just have too much skin in the Bama game, and I have been having so much fun lording it over my friends, and they're always telling me, "Oh, like just wait, just wait." It's you know, like oh, whatever, flash in the pan, one year, blah blah, one year wonder. So if you could double tap him, ooh, I know. Ooh. I think I think I yeah, might even I like think, I might even let Kyle Trask beat you in the swamp if you guarantee well, me a double tap. All right, you ready for a little? Okay, here's what I'll say then. I think in a vacuum, eleven and one with a loss to Bama is better for like that season, like that. Just like if you view it from a a vacuum perspective, yeah. yeah. But for the sake of the decade and the legacies and Ogeron versus Saban and all that, oh my God, yeah, you take ten and two with a beat win against Saban because now you are firmly making up that ground, and also the context of you are dragging Bama down with you, and now yeah, you might not be as high as you would be if you went eleven and one. But suddenly, nobody views it as there's a huge gap anymore. Nobody exactly. thinks of it. It is like actually even now. So I would say uh, those are two different questions. And if you view it through that perspective, yeah, you take 10 and 2. And, and the, the interesting part about this, too, if we're going back to like the kind of the benefit of the doubt club, is this could potentially end up exploring if two teams from the same conference can exist in the benefit of the doubt club. Um, maybe, maybe they already do. Maybe UGA's in that club and I'm not saying it, but where's UGA checking in number seven on Phil Steele's list? No, I mean, no, I don't, I don't know. So it seems like Georgia was trying to break in. They got thrown out the club by Alabama. 
nobody's going to challenge Ohio State really or Oklahoma really or Clemson really for that matter. So like maybe you can only be maybe there can only be one. This is like a Highlander situation. And, and Alabama and LSU are going to have to either knock the other one out or who knows, maybe we'll see like some mutually assured destruction where they tear each other down. Hmm. There's something to that because I think the one thing that Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State have is that they are the only one out of their conference yeah. every year. You know, they, that is a huge relevant factor in this. While Alabama, LSU, Georgia, all these teams, I mean, not even Georgia because they're in the East, like they have a different Auburn, perspective. You never know when Auburn's yeah. going to go on a heater you, and just exact take you down. Florida. We, yeah, like, well, for LSU schedule perspective, like, I just think there's a different prism because as much as Michigan's close to there and, and as much as Penn State is actually very close to there, it's just kind of different. And you, if you don't go undefeated in the Big Ten, it's like, well, I don't know. And if you go 10-2 and two in the SEC, it's like you buy it. I don't know. I just think it's a different – that's not an original take, but I just think you view it differently. So my, I almost wonder if there can only be one or maybe I don't I'm, There I don't can only be one. Uh, by the way, Highlander, really fun, cheesy – Fantasy movie. Have you ever seen? Uh, won the Oscar for best movie ever made, right? Oh, yes. Yes, of course it did. Uh, whatever Sean Connery's name was in that movie. I've actually still, never seen it. I'll be uh, honest. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm not even going to sit here and be like, you got to see it. Uh, just like if you're bored one day and you want to yeah. see like a cheesy, fun fantasy movie. I would love to. Highland I'm on vacation. Why not? Fun. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. In Indiana. Um, all right. So we, we, we kind of went on a look. That's the thing. Uh, state of the program as it sits right now is this is an LSU team that has a ton of talent still. I like that quote that you talked about from the NFL scout that if they get the good quarterback play and and and, and really that, that's what everything hinges on is quarterback play here to stay at LSU. And can they join the big boys club? Um, I, I don't know that I want to run down the position groups no, necessarily. No. We, we've done a lot on the show and we'll do some position group rankings uh, probably on a later show. Uh, how, about, how about we do this, too, though, yeah. real quick. We'll do something with positions. What is one position group? that you feel is a bit more interesting than maybe like the general public thinks or that you have something interesting to say on? Well, I think one that probably doesn't get much conversation is, and maybe even even shouldn't, but is defensive end because we keep talking about how good the defensive line is. And I think it is too, because I think those defensive tackles, I mean, you're four deep of legitimate, like all SEC caliber guys there. So yeah, I think that area is great, but I think defensive ends the least talked about and we actually have zero stability there because, you know, I just finished mm. my, my stability rankings for defense that runs tomorrow. And I think that's a weird one because that's the ultimate could be amazing, could be terrible group because there's four guys in the mix. Literally none of them have ever started a football game. Well, Andre Anthony might have one or two. but And there's a chance that like Thomas and Ojolari or Thomas and Anthony are like 15 sacks between them kind of guys. Like they've never been in a 4-3. They might thrive. But you literally are talking about one guy who's been like a rotation player for five games and got suspended, one guy that never really worked as an outside linebacker that like mm. might be a better fit, and then a t converted tight end who's never played the position in a game, and a true freshman. So I think that's an area that is just like worth like just bringing up a smidge more. That's all. That does sound a bit like the uh, you know 
like a bruise or something that they're hiding with some great makeup. That sounds bad. That sounds like a domestic violence thing. I didn't mean it like it that. It does. I, yeah. I just mean like that's it's, it's, minutes it's, in. It's, it's an ugly spot that that we just could just kind of flown under the radar. Because you're right, and I've mentioned this before, but like they are relying on Ujulari and Philip Webb, two guys that have never played, to be their premier pass rushers. Now I will say this: Ogeron's not someone who normally blows smoke. Would you agree with that? I feel like he's normally like you get an idea of how he how he feels about if he thinks a player is going to be good or not. I would agree. And he's a guy and, who once openly said the starting running back was he's okay. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Say good, not great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, yes, I agree. I know. I was with the running back in the dude. Uh, Nick Brissett was at I know. the station that day that he said that. So awkward. Uh, but look, it, you know, you could argue that it motivated Brissett. Look what he did. Uh, whatever. Uh, point being is that he <laughs> is the one that is talking up Ujilari and Webb. Yeah, and, no. I, and that, I, so like, and so while it feels very sketchy that all your pass rush is coming from freshmen. Uh, I don't want people to think that it's just like too much BS. There is potential that they're really good given what he said about them, but definitely you just, it's, you got to prove it to me at this point. Yeah. I think that's the reason we format our position rankings as most certain to like, or most stable to most Mm. uncertain, because I do not want to say who's best and worst right now, especially with this year's team, because I genuinely don't know, but it is the least stable because I genuinely don't know. And there is a very real chance that, that outs- those defensive ends are like, like I could totally see a scenario where BJ O'Dellari is like the breakout star of the season. Or I actually am like ready to put a little bit of stock in Andre Anthony, who's a really good okay, true pass rusher, okay. having a good year. Like those are possible scenarios. But the fact is that like every other position, even if I'm not that confident, I have like a a 60% feel, right? Like you have, yeah, some you have a clear of, idea of, of I what feel like I have there. a 10% feel of what's going to happen at defensive end. And that's, that's why that's the thing. The only counter I'd say, if you want to feel better is they do at least have the flexibility of being like, you know, maybe make Neil Farrell, your strong side defensive end. Like you can mess around a little bit there and like, you know, be a little less aggressive, but more reliable. I don't know. Last thing on D line before we move on. Uh, did you hear O on my show this morning what he uh, said about Ica? <laughs> or not Ica, Shelvin. Uh, somebody, a, a listener asked a question about Shelvin again. Shelvin and Ica in the same, uh, in the game at the same time. And O said that he might have to bring a Mack truck to get Shelvin in there. Uh, it seems like Big T might have been gain, it might be gaining weight again. Those pizzas, man, you can't eat three at a time. Yeah, God. dude, it's it's tough during quarantine. I'm gaining weight. I mean, I that would have been, it would have been mean-spirited, but that would have been the best segment we could have done during the pandemic is like a, uh, a pandemic power rankings of trust of like, who do you feel is going to come back in shape? Like Jamar Chase and Derek Singley are my top two. Who do you feel least confident with? And Tyler Shelvin is by a wide margin toward the top. Now he's done it before, and it just looks like he might have to do it again in terms of shedding that weight. But uh, yeah, Big T back on the gumbo. Um, I, if I had to p- pick a position group, this has been talked about more, but I don't know that I've ever seen a position with as much potential talent, but having proven nothing as much Ooh. as the tight end position. Uh, because Arik Gilbert is uh just looks like a surefire hit five-star cat um they keep talking about this cole taylor kid the big like six seven looking lanky giraffe type guy he just looks like a little giraffe taking his first steps that has to grow into his body 
Uh, how often does a former baseball player pitcher who's like 6'5", 260 come walking through that door? And then you have Pettigrew who's a bit lost in the shelf right now, but he, seems, he has great size for like run blocking against if you need to go that route, goal line formation, whatever. But, but like which one of those guys has actually played? None. None. Pettigrew has played some garbage time, yeah. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. And so you have zero percent playing experience uh, on the college level, and yet that is a position group that people are expecting to be pretty dominant that year. I find that to be pretty fascinating, as well as the kind of wild card, wild card nature of a Cole Taylor, of a uh, – of, of a uh, why am I playing? Nick Storrs. Yeah. No, I see what you're saying. I mean, the Larry Gilbert thing is what makes that the most fascinating position to handicap because – we know it's the least confident position on the team in terms of like, you know, the percentages like we're talking about, but we do just operate under this bizarre assumption that a true freshman is going to be like, I mean, like an all sec star. Like it is, there's not much precedent for that. I guess Stingley was kind of like that, but yeah, even, that, this, I mean, but even this is Stingley different because the bar that, that's but, who that's who they're relying on him to perform. Like. But even that's a little different because it's a corner and it was a deep group that year. And it was like, if, if he wasn't ready, I don't think they were in trouble. You know what I mean? Like, and but this one's just bizarre and the only reason i like counter that is that i don't know if i agree with like how much because gilbert has all the expectation but taylor's more of just like a a nice little surprise story and like oh this three star looks pretty darn good i don't think like anybody's walking out here saying cole taylor's gonna be some superstar but that's me dude i think they they've they've hyped him up way more than i than i ever thought they would yeah i don't know if he's gonna play immediately but he will play next year guaranteed agreed uh, I also, I mean, if I wanted to call my shot, I think you'll see Cole Taylor in some red zone action this year. I think so too. Um, without a doubt. Uh, and, and, and so, yeah, we'll see. I mean, so much potential, who knows where it goes tied in at LSU. Who would have guessed a position that spent years in the shadows we're now talking about. Uh, okay. Let's dive into these feel still rankings real quick. Brody. So <clears throat> I still can't say his name correctly, but Phil Steele. Just released his top 25. We already talked about the benefit of the doubt, guys. That's your Ohio State at one, Clemson at number two, Alabama at three, Oklahoma at four. Um, surprise see Oklahoma up there? A little. Um, I mean, here's what I want to qualify this with before as we dive into it is the Phil Steele break top 25 is the most interesting of any discussed, but it's a very double-edged sword because from one hand you view it as Phil Steele's doing infinitely more research and actual reporting and diving into this top 25 and every single team in the country than any other poll you will ever look at. So from that perspective, it's like, all right, it actually carries more weight because let's be, I want to be clear to viewers. I, I respect the AP poll and that's probably my go-to poll for anything I use. But the AP poll is sports writers across the country, a lot of which cover a local team and aren't really watching every game. So I really think that's worth putting out there. So the yeah. Phil Steele one, it carries greater weight in that sense. But then you look at it from another perspective, and this is a little inside baseball, but I think it's that's actually also kind of a dangerous one because that is what am I hearing, what am I hearing, what am I hearing? And he's talking to these coaches for like an hour and a half at a time because that's how he does his thing. And there's a little more room for – I'm hearing a lot of this from this person, then you can kind of run away with things a bit. So all I say that to say is it's the most research, but also it carries the greatest risk. 
And that it's uh, anyway. So it, yeah, this list is garbage. Though. He's got Texas A&M at five. I agree. but I love it. I love it Jimbo so much. Lobbied Jimbo lobbied him for an hour and a half. Uh, okay, but I, I, I makes me so happy. Oh, go on. Sorry. Uh, no, you're fine. Uh, so Ohio State at one. No surprise there. They had a great class coming in. Great team. Clemson at two. No surprise there. Alabama three. Oklahoma four. Maybe only surprising if you're like, oh, they keep getting their ass kicked in the playoffs, but they're going to go nearly undefeated and win the Big 12. So they'll be right there. And there's um, a lot of expectation for Spencer Rattler to be like the next Heisman candidate. Yeah, his name is Spencer Rattler, and he plays yeah, quarterback at Oklahoma. He should be amazing. Yeah, it's good um, number five, Texas A&M. Number six, LSU. Wow. Seven, You're just leaving it at that? Oh, no, no, we're going to explore this. I'm doing this in chunks. So and then we get five through ten. A&M, LSU, UGA, Notre Dame, Oregon, Penn State. What jumps out to you from that group? I mean, I think we know. It's it's Texas A&M at number five. I think that is the biggest statement here. Because, I mean, LSU, I actually have, don't even have much to say because LSU, you could put a five, you could put a ten, and I'm not going to get mad at you either way. Who knows? Yeah, uh, A&M, that is beautiful because that has been like the – the nerdy stat geek. It's been the most fun discourse in college football this offseason, honestly, because a lot everyone, like, if you look at it logically, is like, AM should be really, really good this year. Yeah. Year three under Jimbo, loaded recruiting classes, so much returning production, leads the SEC in returning production. And like, they just like should be good in every single way, third or fourth year starting quarterback, you know, all those things. But then there's that other part of the discourse that is like, just blindly throwing that away and being like, it's ain't like that, that lazy, like it's the LSU offense thing, actually, where it's like, it's A&M, we do this every single year. We, it happens every summer and then never works out. So it's two factions, like being like one side, not even giving any credence to it. Another half probably getting carried away with it. So I love that Phil Steele of all people put him there because hey, if hey. you're looking at tangible pieces, they probably deserve to be there, but we just are all conditioned to think otherwise. Hey, it's A&M. We do this every summer. They're just going to disappoint you in the end. Uh, the best part about that is the schedule is lining up to drive that point home so that it will never be forgotten because they're going <laughs> to have a great chance to start 9-1, and 10-0. Yeah. Uh, when you look at their schedule, the only real challenge, and, and you know, real challenge in terms of if they are a top ten team, the only real challenge feasibly should be when they have to go to Auburn. Yeah. Uh, when, when in the season is that? I'm I'm furiously trying to one handed Google. I want to say that's even like week eight or something. I don't have it in front of me. I do apologize, but I mean, I think that's yeah. even like somewhat later. I'm pulling it up right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I I do think you're right. Okay, here we go. I got it. I got it. Sorry. Uh, so that would be week, October seventeenth. Yeah. So right there in the middle. Um, and so you're gonna yeah you're gonna be looking at an A&M team that's gonna start pretty highly ranked, and then they'll be undefeated if they beat that Auburn team. Then especially yeah they will be in the top five. They'll probably be in the top three. I mean, if they're ten and the majority, the Bama, yes, you're number, number two or one. three in the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then guess what? They got to play Bama and LSU. And I don't think they're going to pass those tests. And then again, it's going to be an A and M team that got all your hopes up, only to completely blow it. Okay, uh, the I got a question for the, you. The journey, yes. And like, really take a second and think about this because, okay, let's just say hypothetically, I mean, A and M actually goes ten and zero, takes care of business in every single game, does what it's supposed to do, and then loses both those last two games. It goes ten and two. Yeah. Do you look at that as like, see, I told you? Or do you view that as, yeah, it's a pretty good season? Because um, hmm. that's tough. Because I don't think you can really criticize them for either loss. 
but no, people, look, that, but the optics yes. of two straight uh, ending the season. Yes, it's it's again, we're kind of in a logical verse how people are actually <laughs> going to react because you're right. Logically, ten and two is great. That said, how, is it not like an old college football maxim that when you lose matters, and the yeah. distaste that can that can come from losing those games late, and the distaste that can come from landing far short of expectations and make no mistake if you start 10 and 0 expectations are going to be rocket high i've seen it with lsu when they were undefeated when ethan posick was playing and they were undefeated going into that bama game and it was like maybe like number one versus two even or something crazy and like i knew lsu wasn't even close to that (laughs) bama team and yet people were like still like expecting them to go in and win that game and then they got their ass kicked and so, yeah, ten and zero would rocket up expectations as well. So I'm with you logically. Ten and two is a great year, especially where, yeah, no. where with what A and M's been. But if it went down yeah. like that, in the moment, it would, yeah, it'd be, it would be viewed as a net negative. People would be pissed at Jimbo. Yeah. Uh, a and M fans would. Uh, I so. love it. I, I hope. I think I really want their AP like early season polling to be around five or six because I want them to have like the eyeballs on them all season. Um, the other one that jumped out to me is Georgia being seven because I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the the consensus ranking was always like three or four for them. I think that's where everyone kind of had them hanging. I don't know if I'm wrong there, but so that tells me Phil Steele's a little less convinced. Good, of, thank God, because though. it's an offense that actually only brings back, I believe, one one pl- re- one guy, one out of 11. one real starter. A lot of other like the receivers and whatnot, like they played a lot, but yeah, it's one real starter. It's two really talented quarterbacks, but they're both transfers. So that's a huge question mark. I, I think it's I, it, that would be one where I actually am taking Steele's opinion, like truly, because I do find that interesting that he of all people is like actually I don't know. I, I just, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with him there. Although, okay, so then this is one of my other big takeaways with this top 25. He has Georgia at 7 and Florida at 13. So he is kind of answering your SEC West or your SEC East question right there. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, Florida, I'm surprised because you and I love Florida. You and I oh, yeah, are very high on them. I think we're just mulling believers a little bit too. And I, I do get it because they are losing – most of their actual stars, if we're being honest. Like, they bring back a lot of their core in a way, but, like, their stars are pretty much all gone. And there's some people who are like, Trask is the dude, and there's some people who are like, I really don't see it. So, I get it. I guess Florida's one that actually does have to prove it to us. We yeah, they got to beat Georgia. Like, I mean, and, <laughs> well, yeah, and, and I mean, Dan even Mullen the first has to weeks. overcome his uh, – Dan Mullen has to overcome his own – I feel like there's some people who have a reputation of Dan Mullen that he can get you very good, but can't get you like to the top top, which is which I would fair. like to throw out as compl- I think that's because, very unfair. Yeah, he's he's been in Mississippi State, so like, yeah. how, how how could you say that? But the but fact that, that is, he got them to very good, he deserves a statue. I have heard people say that though, and um, and if he loses to George again, it's going to give those people more ammunition. I, that's why I love college football. I'm, we're going to switch topics after this, but I have, that is literally why I love college football because it is the. I think it, it ranks the highest of sports where your memory and history means nothing because literally just two to three years ago, Florida was going through the Muschamp and McIlwain eras. Yeah, because Muschamp God, sucks, they huh? They would have done anything for – oh, nice, well played. 
I almost yeah. let it go. I'm like, yeah. damn it. Uh, but like they would have done anything for – oh, yeah, because I forgot that uh, coaches that struggled on their first job never go on to anything. It really oh, sucks for Ed Ogeron. Oh, wow. um, but, wow. yeah, I, I love that Florida fans can forget that quickly. And then the idea of like if he loses to Kirby three years in a row, like it's like, I don't know about Mullen. It's like, geez, what you would have done four years ago for four <laughs> like three straight top ten seasons. I love this sport. I love well, it. Well, but, but didn't did it actually uh, – didn't Muschamp go to, or was it McElroy and then went to back-to-back SEC championships? McElroy went to at least two SEC championships. They just didn't get close. It was it just, it just it was a bad feeling SEC East win. It was when the East was kind of it was when the East garbage. was a mess. Yeah, and it was like um, yeah. okay, something one, else. Oh, sorry, continue. Last one I'll throw out there is just USC being eleven because I feel like the consensus there has been like you know sixteen, seventeen, which is perfectly fair and probably what it should be. But I, I mean, you know, I've been all in on USC for some reason, yeah. so. Not all in. I just think they're pretty good. I think they're like, uh, you know, I'd say they're like a 10 or 11 in the country. I think that's about right. So I, I love that he also has them. Uh, other observations. We've got a couple minutes left here. Um, yeah, please. Back to the top grouping. Uh, interesting that you have three SEC West teams in the top six. Something's got to give there, obviously. Um, four of the top seven when you throw in Georgia. That just speaks to the SEC more. Uh, I like North Carolina at 16. The Mac Brown hype train continues to roll. I'm kind of into them. Uh, I hope that Mac Brown can create another actual legitimate ACC football program. So Clemson's regular season just Love won't it. be an unmatched march of success. So I'm cheering for the Tar Heels for the next few years now. Me too. Um, what do you think about Auburn at 19? You know Auburn. You wrote about Auburn. I mean, I think that's a fair ranking because, I mean, there's totally a chance to end up in like the 7-8 range, but it's a fair ranking when you lose that much on defense in the secondary and, and you know, you still like Bo Nix technically wasn't very good last year. So, yeah, I think it's a fair ranking. I just think they're one of those teams that could easily catapult themselves. I, I think another one to throw out there is Miami 17. What does he know that we don't know? Are they supposed yeah, to be really good? that's true. I've they didn't end that. well. They don't actually bring back that much if like if you – actually put stock in Connolly's returning production metrics like what what is he I mean obviously Derek King that's the storyline and Rhett Lashley the new OC obviously that is why you would put him there but all right that's an interesting one to follow yeah I mean it's just like I see that I'm like oh they got Miami up there they love to do that uh it's always fun to act like Miami's good at the beginning of the year um Tennessee at 20 okay Jeremy Pritt that's perfect that's a perfect ranking Kentucky is actually more surprising uh, see, well, I mean, look, Stoops, I think, I think Stoops, see, that's Kentucky's version of the benefit of the doubt. I was just right going to say, is he a BOTD? <laughs> that's, that's the, that's if you, uh, apply the Kentucky handicap to the BOTD. I love it. Formula. I think there needs to be tears. Yeah. Um, he ends up that, yeah, he's done a good job there. Wisconsin's uh, in the BOTD department because you always know yes. like, oh, their line's yeah. going to be good. They're the leaders in the country. Of, <laughs> oh yeah. Their line's going to be good. Of course. Exactly. Uh, I know somebody in the big 10 needs to give. Oh, I'll see a little more of a run for its money. Dude, it's Wisconsin was so close to being them the Big Ten championship. I just want to say that. Like, they really, I thought, had them. Yeah. I think Wisconsin's not that. I mean, I don't know what their team is this year, but they were not far off last year. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I think that's it. I think it's I it. Think yeah, it's yeah let's place. up there. That's a great place. And that's Phil Seals Top 25. This was the Hold That Podcast podcast. Um, look, a lot of what we talked about, all on the athletic.com Brody's work all on the athletic.com. I'm not even, I I am. I'm not lying. Y'all it is the best sports site out there. No ads. It's incredible. It's worth it. And you help us out. If you sign up on the athletic.com slash hold that podcast, 
40% off. Go do it. Also, um, if you like the show, share it with your friends trying to grow it. That'd be awesome. You can rate and review it on the iTunes store. And thank you. We do this every Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. Brody, anything you say on the way out here? Did it again. Um, that's all I got, man. See you next Tuesday. What? Did I, oh, I did it again. Wow. Um, you're right. Also, buy your meats at Bear Specialty Meats off of Bocage if you're in Baton Rouge. And we will see you later. So hold that podcast, podcast.